I want you to look at Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 4. I'll speak on a subject that we don't know a great deal about, so maybe we can learn something. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And I beseech you, odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, he's saying there, don't always think on the bad. Think on these things. It'll help you. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul said in verse 11, I'm not speaking in respect of want. And he was telling this church at Philippi that he, they had taken care of his needs in the past and now they had begun to do that again and how much he appreciated it. And he wanted to be sure they didn't think that he wanted their things he would receive anything that they wanted to give him, but he had no interest in things. And so he said in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. I don't want any of your material things. I don't have a great desire for material things. If you want to give me a little something to help me along the way, fine. That's great and gracious. But he said, I'm not speaking to you in respect of want. And then he said this, for I have learned 
and he learned it in the school of hard knocks. I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of contentment. And someone said to me, how can you be content? How is that possible? You have great bodily pain and, and you're getting near to the grave and you are near to the grave now. And, and uh, you, your precious grandson has just died and your daughter's in despair without Christ. Your other children won't listen to what you say. And religion hates what you say. But I say to you folks here this morning, I'm delighted that you believe what I say. That's what matters to me. Religion does not believe what I say. And you are God's blessing to me. Whether you realize it or not, you're a blessing of God to me, and I thank God every day for you. I'm glad you're here. How can you be content? Well, I have a godly wife who comforts me. I have enough beans, and I have a good house in which to live, and I have this good church, and what health I have left, I, I have it, and I'm grateful for it, that I'm able to function. And so I wanted to say to you, my dear friends, this morning, that your pastor is content. And uh, you folks are so kind to ask me, and especially the ladies, how are you doing? And I don't know how to answer that. I just usually say fine, or I believe I said great this morning. But let me answer that with this one word. I am content. I have great contentment. And in this book of Philippians, Paul had faithfully preached the gospel for Oh, a long time, I don't know how many years, and he gave his life to seek the salvation of others. And what he got in return for that, he was slandered, he was abused, he was reproached, he was scorned, he was unjustly condemned and sentenced to die. And some of his friends had betrayed him and others, all the rest of them, had forsaken him. And at the time he wrote this, he was a prisoner in Rome. He was awaiting execution. Would have his head cut off. And yet he found something which very few people in this world know anything about. And that's what he said in verse 11. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whether, whether I'm doing well or even in this condition I'm in now, waiting to have my head cut off. I don't know when, won't be long. But he said, I've learned this. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What a gift from God that is. And so what is contentment? I say to you, I'm content. Well, what is that? I have to know what it is if I know I'm content. Well, contentment is a satisfaction with God's provision. And contentment is a willing submission and resignation to the will of God. Contentment is the peaceful acceptance 
of things as they are. I have a favorite word that I use quite a bit now. That word is whatever. Things as they are at this present time. Realizing that all things are exactly, exactly as God intends them to be. And the believer desires no more than what he has. And I'm not saying there that it's wrong to work for good things in this life. That's right. God would have us do that. But a believer desires, that word desires the key now. You don't desire any more than what you have as a desire. If it comes, fine, but it's not a desire, you see. Very few people know the peace and joy of contentment. And happy is a person who finds it. And to the extent that we are able to lay hold of four truths by faith and rest in them, to that extent we will learn contentment. And here are the four P's. I call them the four P's. All four of these began with the word P and if you know these things, you'll be content. Number one is this, the purpose of God. All things that ever come to pass in this world, both small and great, both prosperous and adverse, both pleasing and painful, both evil and good. All things come to pass exactly according to God's eternal unalterable purpose, and it cannot be changed. All things were sovereignly predestinated by God in eternity for the certain accomplishment of the eternal salvation and everlasting good of his own elect. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, you know these verses by heart. Let's look at them. Ephesians 1 and verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why can't I be content in that? Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Learn this in your heart and you'll learn to be content. If you learn this in your head, you won't be content, but if it ever gets in your heart, you'll be content. Learn this by all means, if you want to be content, Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. Romans eleven thirty-six. Romans 11 verse 36. Now listen to it. See if you can hear this. You all upset about something? You all discontented? You're not happy? Listen to this. For of him and through him and to him are all things. 
to whom be glory forever. And Paul said, Amen. Amen. I say amen to that with Paul. Nothing in this universe moves without God's decree and direction because our God is governor over all. Mr. Bush is president this morning because long time ago, Almighty God said that George W. Bush would be president this year. People may not like him, but he's president. I didn't like Mr. Clinton, but he was the president. And God put him in there for his own unalterable, almighty, sufficient purpose. He was the president for eight years. God cannot be frustrated or defeated. He is God, the purpose of God. If you get a hold of that now, you'll be content. The purpose of God. You're here this morning not by accident, not actually by your choice, although you did make a choice to be in church this morning. You're here this morning because God brought you here in his unalterable purpose, and whatever his purpose is in you being here, it shall be accomplished. Anyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and he is pleased to bring you here to hear of Christ and give you faith to believe, then this morning you will believe. And if he does not give you faith to believe, you have been brought here in order to add a little bit to your condemnation because you do not believe on the Son of God. But you are not here by accident. You're here purposefully this morning. The purpose of God. And then number two is the power of God. He who has a purpose, I am delighted he has the power to see that it's carried out. You and I may have a purpose. Chris brought this out in Sunday school. We may plan to do something, have a purpose to do something. We may not have power enough to carry it out. But Almighty God has power enough to accomplish his purpose, and he has never frustrated. I am amazed at this little God of religion that's always frustrated in what he wants to do. God is never frustrated. He's never defeated. He is God. Daniel 4.35. Let's read that. We'll just look at some scripture. I usually just quote them, but we'll look at them. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. You're very familiar with it. But here it is. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. <laughs> nothing. You're nothing. God said you're nothing. I didn't say that, but all the inhabitants of the earth, that includes you and I, are, of the earth, are reputed as nothing. That is, in the carrying out of God's eternal purpose, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can slap his hand or say unto him, what are you doing? Nobody can do that. Why can you not stop God in his purpose? Because you're nothing. How can nothing stop the omnipotent God? How can that be possible? I'm content in the power of God. 
you can safely trust such an almighty God of power and be content in him no matter who lives or who dies. I'm content in the death of my grandson. God hath done it. Therefore, I must be content in that. Sorrow, yes, there's great sorrow for many days, great sorrow. But I want to say to you this morning, God did that. The power of God, he brings things to pass. He has a purpose, he has the power to carry that purpose out. And then thirdly, if you want to really be content, you get into this one, the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 13. Here's another one you're very familiar with, but let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation or your manner of life be without covetousness. without covetousness and be content there's the word be content with such things as you have for he hath said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee can you get a sense of that fact Never leave thee, nor forsake thee. If you are one of God's believing children, you're not ever alone. Paul said in our text, scripture text, the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? That means he, the Lord is at hand. He's here. And when I go out early in the morning, walk around these buildings just to, just to walk and and get everything to operating a little bit, I'll tell you this, God himself walks with me. He's my Lord, but he's also my constant companion. He walks with me. That's the truth. I know that's so. We talk with one another. As we walk together, the Lord is at hand. He's always at hand. You talk about contentment. God is by your side. Look at him and speak to him. Do you just speak to him? Beautiful sunrise this morning. And I had to say, Lord, how beautiful you make things. I'm content in that. The Lord is at hand. Surely this is contentment. The presence of God. The purpose of God. The power of God. Contentment. And then fourthly we have the promises of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. That is, not maybe. Not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea. 
Yes. And in him, amen, under the glory of God. Do you know what that's talking about? To you who are in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yea and amen. They will be fulfilled. He promises to guide you in the way you should go. He promises grace sufficient for you. He promises with every trial to make a way of escape. He promises strength for today, not for tomorrow, but for today. He promises grace and mercy to help in time of need. And he brings all things. He promises to bring all things to a good end for you. And he promises eternal glory to all who trust him. Trust his promises then and you'll be content. I'm trying to learn, Lord, to trust your promises. If I can just trust the promises of God. Trust his purpose. Trust his power. Trust his presence and then trust his promises. And learn to be content. I want to look at three or four of his promises, if I could, please. Look at Psalm. Psalm. Uh, 121 Psalm 121 Esther sang this at Elijah's funeral and Vicky and Chris and Desta have sung it here but we need to realize what what this is, these are promises of God, and let's just look at them here. Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The word promise is used 114 times in Scripture. And it comes from a Latin word that means exactly what our English word means. And the definition of promise is this. It means a declaration or assurance made to another person with respect to the future. A promise states that one will do or refrain from some specified act or that one will give or bestow some specified thing, usually in a good sense. It implies something to the advantage or pleasure of the person concerned. God has promised to his people many things. Old Peter wrote in chapter 1, the second epistle of Peter, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And in this Psalm 121, there are six promises from the Lord to his people. Verse 1 and 2 is sort of an introduction here. They tell us where all our help comes from and leads us to the six promises. Now this will be a help to you if you can get hold of this. We are so prone to take on troubles in our own strength and much of the time we run to an earthly refuge to see what help we can get. 
And so we are reminded here to look only in one place for spiritual help. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help. Now these hills are a lot higher than these earthly hills. And what he's speaking about, they're the hills of omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience and all the attributes of God. These are the hills from which cometh my help. Nothing can satisfy faith except the all-sufficiency of God who made heaven and earth of nothing. And so he can give help where there's no appearance of help. Now here's the first promise. Verse 3, the first part, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And although we are weak and ready to fall, yet the Lord will save us from ruin. He will keep us fast so that our feet will not slip. Psalm 94, 17 and 18, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. And when I said, My foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. The wicked are not kept in this manner. Only those in Christ are kept in this manner. Psalm 73, 18, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down unto destruction. And this week I had opportunity to speak with someone who's deeply in need of the Lord and do you know all that they wanted to do was argue about religion. Somebody on the verge of going into hell forever and the Lord had a word for them and I spoke about 15 minutes on Christ is the only help. The Son of God came down here and I went through the gospel over and over and finally they said well what do you think about the Catholics and I said what kind of a question is that don't you believe the Catholics and all these other religions are okay also so I just cut it off right there Someone so deeply in need of the mercy of God, and that's the way people are. Where are they? In a slippery place. And I told that person, you will never understand anything I say unless God gives you understanding. And I believe that, and I wasn't mad about it because I realized back yonder I was in the same condition. And then God came. You see, God must come. We know that. If God does not come, nobody will understand anything. And so the first promise is this. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And then the second promise is verse, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God will not make any oversights. He doesn't miss anything. The Lord never has in any moment of time failed in attending to his church and every particular member thereof. He'll take care of you. Why am I content this morning? Well, there it is. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. God's not asleep. I read a story about during the Blitz back in World War II, the, the Nazi Blitz on 
the city of London, there was an old lady there that lived in a top room. She'd lived there for 20 years in one of those buildings. And they came and uh, said, uh, dear, you're going to have to move. And she said, oh, no, no, I won't move. She said, I pray to God every night and I goes to sleep. Because there's no need for God and me both to stay awake. Now that's trust, brother and sister. That's faith. I've had trouble sleeping of late, and I read this story again. I was ashamed of myself. The Lord's awake. What am I doing awake? Everything going to turn out. And here's a little something. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious, anxious human beings rush about and worry so. And said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. God won't make any oversights. God is not asleep. He's taking care of things. Always taking care of everything. The third promise in this psalm is verse 5. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. You as a believer, you do not have a promise to be free from trouble. And don't think you're going to escape trouble. If you haven't found great trouble in this life yet, it's a coming. Troubles are coming. Troubles on the way. But the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. So when trouble comes, I have consolation in trouble and I have a defense from the hurt of trouble. And when trouble comes, the Lord is not far. He's by your right hand. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. And here's the fourth promise. Verse 6, The sun shall not, not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. And that simply means this. The Lord so moderates our problems that they are actually much smaller than they could be. And the psalmist here is thinking of the Israelites in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And God guarded them from the blistering sun by day with a cloud. And he guarded them from the cold and damp of the night with a pillar of fire. So that's what the psalmist is making allusion to. And God likewise, for you and I, lessens our adversities with his mercy. And I read of a friend of Martin Luther who had incurred the hatred of King Charles V. And he heard, somebody told him that soldiers were coming to arrest him. And he prayed and the answer came. Take a loaf of bread and go into town and when you find an open door, enter that open door and hide in the attic. You don't believe God talks to people like that? And so this gentleman did what he was instructed to do, and the soldier searched 14 days for him. And all 14 days, a chicken came every day up in that attic and laid an egg. And never cackled one time. 
Oh, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, you don't believe God can cause a chicken to lay an egg? And then on the 15th day, that chicken didn't come, and he came out, and the soldiers were gone. That's a simple thing for God to do. We say, that, oh, that's one of those wild stories. No, no, that's not a wild story. That's attested to. God can do that. It's his chicken, his egg, and his man in the attic, and he can do anything he wants to. And so the Lord so moderates our problems, they're actually much smaller than they could be. The fifth promise is this, verse 7, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Whatever troubles come, we are freed from the evil of it, and it works for our good. We cannot lose what is most precious, that is, our blessed soul that God has given us. And as long as it pleases God, we cannot lose our bodily life. We are immortal, but we're not presumptuous. And then the sixth promise, verse 8, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore the Lord will lead us by the hand he never leaves nor forsakes but goes along with us forevermore why am I content <laughs> the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in the Lord do you know who I'm speaking about this is the Lord here <laughs> The Lord will preserve thy going out. You intend to go out, maybe you're prevented from going out. You intend to go in, maybe you'll be prevented from going in, but it is the Lord that is preserving you. I read of a missionary who was invited by a chief of one of the tribes he wanted the missionary to come and have a meal with him and the missionary was ill and couldn't go and he got a second invitation and the same thing he couldn't go and then the third invitation came and he started out he had a guide that would guide him to where the chief was and as they walked along a hyena walked across their path and his guide was superstitious, and he wouldn't go on, so they went back. And the missionary, the next day, sailed for another place, but he learned later on that that chief had set a death trap for him all three times. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, and even forevermore you believe God works in those in that way I believe that why am I content he preserves my going out my coming in I plan to go somewhere it may not be possible or it may be possible but the Lord is the one that decides where I go and when I return And if you cannot always do what you intend to do, remember verse 8. <laughs> and don't forget it. So these are six promises. And remember, these are mostly spiritual promises, not always physical. Contentment, why not? Why not? Learn to think on your blessings. I spent a lot of time of late going over my blessings. Think about your blessings. Most people measure 
God's blessings by their bank account, material possessions, and physical health. And there's not anything wrong with any of these. God gives you the knowledge to make money, perhaps. That's a gift from God. Use it. But I hope we're not so foolish and so carnal and so evidently in love with this world that we measure God's blessings by what we have. These are things which lost men and women seek and crave and find pleasure in. And so if you seek and, and crave and find pleasure in things, then it's the greatest sin you can do. Take things, make things, that's fine, that's the gift of God, but don't seek and crave and find pleasure in those things. All God's people are blessed of God. You may be poor and have no material possessions to call your own. You may be sickly and in constant bodily pain, and you may be ready to die, but if you're in Christ... You're blessed with all spiritual blessings in him. Will you sing that song? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, what do you do? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If we don't count our bad things, but rather count our blessings in the midst of earthly trials, we tend to forget that all God has is ours. Ephesians 1.3 Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Did you hear the words now? All spiritual blessings in Christ. Everything that God ever can, ever has, or ever will give to any man. He has given to all his people in Christ, in the covenant of grace in Christ. Before the world began, verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Do you see how blessed you are? What more could you desire? All of this God has done for us. And verse 6 says it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what it is. Praise the glory of his grace. Why do we ever become cast down? Why? Now, we do experience things which seem to the eye of the flesh to be evil. Things which cause us pain and heartache and sorrow, the greatest of sorrows. But God has promised, has he not, that all things, good or evil or whatever they are, they're going to work together for our spiritual good and our eternal welfare. That's what God says. He will do us nothing but good. 
How can you possibly say you are content in all the infirmities that you have and in the loss of a precious grandson and a family in disarray? How? All things work together for good, don't they? Do we really believe that down in here? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Things don't just happen to turn out for good. They are planned by God for good. And every death and every heartache and every disappointment and everything that we call bad happens to us for our good according to God's wisdom and purpose and power all things are good to those who are in Christ Jesus all things and this is a reason Paul could say I don't want anything I am content to sit in this prison and wait for them to chop off my head because even that is for my good. Oh, I tell you, that's the grace of God, isn't it? You put yourself in that position. They're going to cut your head off in the morning. Is that for your good? Hmm. Paul learned this lesson, and so must we. And if we ever learn it, we'll stop murmuring and complaining and simply say from our hearts, I am content. I'm content. You ask me how I'm doing, I'm content. In the wise, all-sufficient purpose of God, I'm content. How is that possible? In Christ. That's how it happens. In Christ. No other way but in Christ I'm content. 